warmth to the cold seabed, where it apparently destabilized vast stores of frozen methane hydrate deposits buried within. As the hydrates thawed, methane gas bubbled up to the surface, adding more carbon into the atmosphere. Methane in the atmosphere traps heat much more effectively than CO2 does, but it converts quickly to CO2. Still, as long as the methane release continued, elevated concentrations of that gas would have persisted, strongly amplifying the greenhouse effect and the resulting temperature rise. A cascade of other positive feedbacks probably ensued at the same time as the peak of the hydrate-induced warming, releasing yet more carbon from reservoirs on land. The drying, baking, or burning of any material that is, or once was, living emits greenhouse gases. Droughts that would have resulted in many parts of the planet, including the western U.S. and western Europe, most likely exposed forests and peatlands to desiccation and in some cases widespread wildfires, releasing even more CO2 to the atmosphere. Fires smoldering in peat and coal seams, which have been known to last for centuries in modern times, could have kept the discharge going strong. Thawing permafrost in polar regions probably exacerbated the situation as well. Permanently frozen ground that locks away dead plants for millions of years, permafrost is like frozen hamburger in the freezer. Put that meat on the kitchen counter and it rots. Likewise, when permafrost defrosts, microbes consume the thawing remains, burping up lots of methane. Scientists worry that methane belches from the thawing Arctic could greatly augment today's fossil fuel-induced warming. The potential contribution of thawing permafrost during the PETM was even more dramatic. The planet was warmer then, so even before the PETM, Antarctica lacked the ice sheets that cover the frozen land today. But that continent would still have had permafrost, all essentially left on the counter to thaw. When the gas releases began, the oceans absorbed much of the CO2 and the methane later converted to CO2. This natural carbon sequestration helped to offset warming at first. Eventually, though, so much of the gas seeped into the deep ocean that it created a surplus of carbonic acid, a process known as acidification. Moreover, as the deep sea warmed, its oxygen content dwindled. Warmer water cannot hold as much of this life-sustaining gas as cold water can. These changes spell disaster for certain microscopic organisms called foraminifera, which lived on the seafloor and within its sediments. The fossil record reveals their inability to cope. Thirty to fifty percent of those species went extinct. That a spectacular release of greenhouse gases fueled the PETM has been clear since 1990, when a pair of California-based researchers first identified the event in a multi-million-year climate record from a sediment core drilled out of the seabed near Antarctica. Less apparent were the details, including exactly how much gas was released, which gas predominated, how long the spewing lasted, and what prompted it. In the years following that discovery, Myriad scientists analyzed hundreds of other deep-sea sediment cores to look for answers. As sediments are laid down slowly, layer by layer, they trap minerals, including the skeletal remains of sea life that retain signatures of the composition of the surrounding oceans or atmosphere, as well as life forms present at the time of deposition. The mix of different forms or isotopes of oxygen atoms in the skeletal remains revealed the temperature of the water, for instance, when well-preserved, such cores offer a beautiful record of climate history. 
but many of those that included the PETM were not in good shape. Parts were missing, and those left behind had been degraded by the passage of time. Seafloor sediment is typically rich in the mineral calcium carbonate, the same chemical compound in antacid tablets. During the PETM, ocean acidification dissolved away much of the carbonate in the sediments in exactly the layers where the most extreme conditions of the PETM era should have been represented. It is for this reason that my colleagues and I met up in Spitsbergen in 2007 with a group of researchers from England, Norway, and the Netherlands, under the auspices of the Worldwide Universities Network. We had reason to believe that rocks from this part of the Arctic, composed almost entirely of mud and clay, could provide a more complete record and finally resolve some of the unanswered questions about that ancient warming event. Actually, we intended to pluck our samples from an eroded plateau, not from underneath the sea.